Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. A leading expert on Trump, Russia, and their election conspiracy has pointed to 15 words in the infamous New York Times article from Halloween 2016 and implied those words could constitute a smoking gun from the FBI's successful attempt to influence the outcome of that presidential election and possibly identifying the man who fired that gun as Charles McGonagall. The same expert has also deconstructed the timeline of the FBI New York field office's possession of the Anthony Weiner laptop and how rogue agents used it to, in essence, blackmail Bureau Director James Comey to publicly state he was, in effect, reopening the Hillary Clinton email story. And that analysis may identify one of the men who made that ultimate and ultimately corrupt October surprise happen. Charles McGonagall. And the expert has also postulated that when the Department of Justice arrested one of its own, a former FBI counterintelligence chief for taking foreign bribes while still at the bureau and for then going to work for the Russian oligarchy had previously investigated, that these might be merely the opening acts to get that ex-FBI man to flip on a much more important conspiracy he was also privy to, say, Trump and Russia and the FBI. And the ex-agent he thinks they may be trying to squeeze is Charles McGonagall. Charles McGonagall, 
head of counterintelligence at the FBI New York field office in 2016, arrested more than a week ago and accused of taking money from Putin's pal Oleg Deripaska. Deripaska himself, the former employer of Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. Charles McGonigal with a wife in Maryland and a girlfriend in New York who thought the wife was the ex-wife and bags of money lying around the apartment and who, by getting himself indicted and pinched, has single-handedly reignited the Trump-Russia scandal and added impetus to an investigation of what Bill Barr and John Durham did to suppress the Mueller report. The three new arguments in the case for Charlie McGonigal as the nexus of all this FBI smearing of Clinton, FBI strategic leaks on behalf of Trump, the real meaning of the Deripaska Manafort connection and how much the Russians were manipulating or worse, working with the FBI New York field office. All those details in a moment. First, to introduce the expert. He's Greg O'Lear, novelist who turned his flair for the dramatic and for how to put the plot points together for a criminal conspiracy story into the 2018 nonfiction book, Dirty Rubles. He has now followed up with these new facets to the McGonagall arrest in his substack called Prevail. And to his credit, his McGonagall story, Charlie's Angels, is filled with caveats. Quoting him, at least as far as the indictment is concerned, McGonagall was not engaged in wrongdoing during the 2016 election campaign. The temptation is to jump to conclusions here, and it is imperative that we not do so. As bad as this looks, he writes, we must avoid making assumptions. Asking questions, however, is fair game. The big one is this. McGonagall was allegedly working for one of Putin's closest cronies, the notorious oligarch Oleg Deripaska. Exactly when did he decide this was okay? Phew. The three of O'Lear's questions that grabbed me by the short ones are as follows. As I've noted here previously, on Halloween morning, October 31st, 2016, Eric Lichtblau and Stephen Lee Myers wrote a piece for the New York Times, utterly anonymously sourced and ultimately completely wrong, headlined, Investigating Donald Trump, FBI Sees No Clear Link to Russia. The difference between facts and truth have never been more obvious than in that New York Times article. It is no doubt absolute fact that unnamed government and intelligence officials said what Lichtblau and Myers said they said. That don't mean any of it was the truth. Remembering that on October 2nd of that year, the FBI announced McGonagall was being transferred to the FBI New York field office to become the special agent in charge of the counterintelligence division. O'Lear pulls two quotes out of the Lichtblau-Myers whitewashing of Trump in the Times. The first stands out kind of obviously. Quoting the Times, 2016, the investigation has treated it as a counterintelligence operation as much as a criminal one. Lear writes, counterintelligence was McGonagall's bailiwick. Was he deliberately planting disinformation of the Times reporters, or was he not involved with this at all? Huh. Leakers looking to alter the narrative to gaslight the Times and the country about Trump and Russia described the Russian interference investigation as a counterintelligence operation. Is there any possible reason you would suspect the Chief of Counterintelligence Operations as the prospective leaker?
Then there's O'Lear's recount of the timeline of the Anthony Weiner laptop. He begins by quoting from his book from 2018, Dirty Rubles, in which he uses the insider nickname for the New York FBI office, Trumplandia. Trumplandia. It is worth hearing the full quote from the book. On October 2nd, 2016, as O'Lear has written, quote, Agents of the FBI's New York field office seized a laptop belonging to Anthony Weiner, which had previously been confiscated by the NYPD in connection with his sexting with minors case. Comey wanted the laptop to be searched immediately for the alleged missing Hillary Clinton emails, but his order was ignored. Instead, Trumplandia agents sat on the laptop for weeks and did nothing with it. The closer it was to the election, they knew, the more explosive the laptop's contents would be, whatever they were. Then, in the waning days of October, rogue elements of the Bureau's New York field office, through their mouthpiece at the website True Pundit, threatened to leak the missing emails supposedly found on the laptop. On October 24th, FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe informed Comey that in his assessment, the True Pundit sources were, quote, heavyweight. Whether the missing emails existed, he could not say, but there really were rogue FBI agents in the know leaking to True Pundit, so it was a possibility. This was a bluff. In fact, the Trumplandia operators had no more idea of what was on the laptop than James Comey did, but the director didn't know that. Comey didn't want to take the risk and have legit missing emails leak. That would make it look like he was hiding something about Hillary Clinton that the American people needed to know. So he decided to get ahead of the story to cover his ass. He wrote the letter to Congress that turned the election. Ending the quote from his book. O'Lear's account of the internal pressure on Comey, write the letter or we will leak it instead, bro, is confirmed in Comey's own book. Nobody needed the laptop to actually have any Clinton emails in it nor anything else. They just needed the FBI to announce... It was checking to see if there were any emails. It's the exact same thing Trump would try in July 2019 to get President Zelensky of Ukraine to launch an investigation into Joe Biden, an investigation about anything true or false, because nobody reads the story anymore. They only read the headline. Finally, to this Wiener laptop timeline, October 2. 2016, FBI New York takes the laptop from the NYPD. October 4, McGonagall is named head of counterintelligence for the FBI in New York. October 24, McCabe warns Comey that the leaks to the true pundit site are not made up out of thin air, but are probably from rogue FBI agents, and their next leaks could be actual Clinton emails, even though Comey had said the Clinton email case had been closed and she had been exonerated. October 28, Comey writes to the Republican heads of eight House and Senate committees that there might be new Clinton email evidence. November 8, Trump wins the election. May 3, 2017, Nate Silver, and Nate Silver has a lot of faults, but statistical analysis ain't one of them. Nate Silver writes, quote, the impact of Comey's letter is comparatively easy to quantify. At a maximum, it might have shifted the race by three or four percentage points toward Trump. At a minimum, its impact might have been only a percentage point or so. Still, because Clinton lost Michigan, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin by less than one point, the letter was probably enough to change the outcome of the Electoral College.
And the letter happens, as Greg O'Lear notes, 24 days after McGonagall moves into management at the FBI in New York, as the warning by McCabe to Comey happens 20 days after McGonagall joins the rogues in New York. O'Lear states it simply, McGonagall must have known about this. What part, if any, did McGonagall play in this drama? Still, it is the third O'Lear question that is the juiciest. Will there be superseding indictments? I'll just read this verbatim from his substack. Quote, the FBI searched U.S. properties belonging to Deripaska last October. In November, they seized McGonagall's phones. This is presumably how investigators learned that McGonagall, quote, violated sanctions imposed by the United States on Oleg Deripaska, as the unsealed indictment alleges. Is this merely the DOJ's initial salvo? Do they hope to get McGonagall to cooperate so they can go after bigger fish? You do not have to have memorized the Mueller report to understand who the bigger fish in this equation would be. And if the answer to that question is yes, we are going to have to rewrite the history of Trump and Russia and Deripaska and Manafort and now McGonagall all over again. The thing is, there is no reason to believe the FBI and or the Department of Justice ever stopped interfering on behalf of Trump, or at least interfering against Democrats and those investigating Trump. Finally, the right light bulbs have gone off. Yesterday, the National Security Division of the DOJ and the Attorney General of Delaware received letters demanding they open investigations into, quote, individuals for whom there is considerable reason to believe violated various federal laws in accessing, copying, manipulating and or disseminating the Hunter Biden laptop. Another election, another laptop. The letters were written by lawyers for the president's son. Yesterday, Hunter Biden switched to playing offense. Letters translated, they are accusing Trump's allies of stealing info from his laptop and trafficking in it. And they accused Rudy Giuliani by name. Rudy, of course, boasted, never realizing that if the laptop or any of its contents were stolen, he wasn't just boasting, he was also confessing. He boasted that he gave a copy of the hard drive to the New York Post. And about Hunter Biden's dad... There is still the question nobody's looking at, let alone answering, which is who not only leaked the Biden self-discovery of classified documents to an obscure CBS reporter in Chicago, but who leaked only that part about the discovery and not the other part that the president and his team promptly invited the FBI to search the think tank without a warrant? <laughs> oh, did I say FBI again and leaks? And there's one more thread to pull on. And the new congressman from the New York 10th, formerly the majority counsel in the first Trump impeachment, Dan Goldman, is doing the heavy lifting or pulling here. He's on the oversight committee, the one that new chairman Jamie, what's that about my college girlfriend saying I beat her, Comer, intends to turn into one long running Biden investigation. Well, the first headline out of that committee, Dan Goldman throwing a little postscript at the Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz yesterday and encouraging him to get cracking 
on investigating what John Durham and William Barr did to bury the Mueller report and gaslight the world about the criminal conspiracy of Trump and Russia. Mr. Horowitz, last night, uh, Congressman Ted Lieu and I sent you a letter requesting that you conduct an investigation into Special Counsel Durham's investigation to see if Mr. Barr or Mr. Durham violated any department policies, regulations, or law. Uh, have you reviewed this letter yet? Um, I was not aware that you had sent that until you just showed it to me, um, but I certainly will read it um, and um, review it. Uh, Mr. Chair, I'd ask for unanimous consent to offer into the record, and could I just have— Without objection, the gentleman's time's expired. Mr. Horvitz, can you just commit to right now— The gentleman's time's expired. This uh, we appreciate the questions on COVID and, and uh, appreciate the passion for investigations. We'll get to that— uh, in the next few weeks, but thank you for the questions. By the way, at the end there, that was Chairman Jamie. What's that about my college girlfriend saying I beat her Comer? And that odd tone you heard in his voice was the sound of a man getting his thunder stolen. Still ahead, you know there are FBI New York agents who are not rogue and don't give a damn about politics, and oddly enough, I met about a dozen of them. First time was 2006 when somebody sent me four letters full of what the writer claimed was anthrax. The Bureau men were a treat to watch. That amazing story ahead and things I promised not to tell. Also, Tom Brady retired again. Sure he did. And in Worst Persons, another freshman Republican compares DirecTV refusing to pay to carry Newsmax to... Any guesses? Yes, he compares that to the Holocaust. And then gets the quotes wrong. Because deplatforming is the same as genocide. It really is too bad that all those right-wing outlets have been deplatformed. A special edition of Worst Persons, that's next. This is Countdown. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's ready to catch Creighton, you know, watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon, the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not, gonna, the, not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team. Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of those. And then they're never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Dirk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Dirk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? The whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, it's Rich Davis from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Still ahead on Countdown, the FBI New York office does do good work. I know I'm one of its many satisfied customers. Olbermann, the Bureau, and the Anthrax letters coming up. First in each edition, we feature a dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day to Mulberry, Arkansas, and Melody. And this is the truest test of what we can and should do for dogs. Out in the woods in Arkansas, Melody is part of a colony of dogs living on their own, a pack. They can do it, especially if... Good food is left for them by sympathetic humans, but Melody is sick. She has mange. It causes fur to fall out and increases the chances of secondary infection. Trapping her would be difficult. It could cause her more injury, certainly would cause her more stress. So what the Positively Canine Rescue Group wants to do is let her stay wild, at least for now, and get her food with anti-mange medication and antibiotics in it. It's ingenious. It won't cost much. If you can donate, you can find Melody on Cuddly's website or on my Twitter feed, and your retweets will also help. I thank you, and though if this works, she may never know it happened, Melody thanks you too. Now the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute a special edition of today's worst persons in the world. The bronze. Football's Tom Brady retiring from the National Football League after seven Super Bowls. Wait, we did this story last year. Oh no. This is how this started last time, Brady. I'm not falling for it again. The runner-up, the College Board, which supervises all those high school advanced placement courses, the AP courses. Apparently, its executives are all made out of petroleum Vaseline jelly. Ron DeSantis, Florida's fascist fudgy the whale, 
passed laws, or, or should we call them proclamations, making it illegal to teach AP African-American studies in Florida. Well, a college board has shown what it's made of. It's panicked. It's killed them off from the course. Black Lives Matter, gone. Black feminism, gone. Reparations, incarceration stats, Crenshaw, Coates, Ferguson, anything that seems like critical race theory, weasels, college board fascist enablers. Here's a solution. Every college and university run by anybody who's, you know, actually read 20th century history should recognize what the college board just did and simply say it will no longer accept any of its credits or courses or tests as part of any high school student's application. You took AP science? Sorry, we're not giving you credit for that. The college board is made up of ass wipes. Sorry you wasted your time, kid. And we'll fix it fast. And speaking of uneducated, cowering ass wipes, our winner is the brand new Missouri Congressman Eric Burleson, Republican, investment advisor, and ignoramus. Look, I'm not one of those people who thinks you can't invoke Hitler or the Nazis. I do it all the time. Trump's a Nazi. He might be a Hitler. See, it's easy. But you have to pick your spots. And this fungus in a suit, Burleson, has decided to compare two private companies haggling over money to the Holocaust on the floor of the House. If you had not heard, DirecTV was running the fascist propaganda network Newsmax for free. Networks on your cable or satellite, if you still remember what cable and satellite were, they often demand some money for their product, but not Newsmax. Here it is. Just run it. We won't charge anything. Then last month, Newsmax demanded that DirecTV pay it money. And DirecTV said, uh, uh, thanks. What you put out is pretty much crap. And that made DirecTV Nazis and turned this bubble-headed freshman congressman from Missouri into Pastor Martin Niemöller. He actually said this. These companies choose to silence conservative speech by first deplatforming or eliminating One American News, and now they're going after Newsmax. You know, there's a famous quote about what happened during the Holocaust. When, when individuals, when the, when the Nazis first came for some, and people said nothing. And then eventually they'll come for you. Yeah, thanks. That's not the quote. Missouri freshman Congressman Eric Burleson. He has a business degree. Look, Goober. If you want to claim DirecTV refusing to pay Newsmax for its crap feed is the same as Nazis rounding up Jews and sending them to concentration camps, at least read Pastor Neimoller's First They Came For. And by the way, read the first sentence out loud, which is, First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Don't try to summarize it or ad lib it. You're not any good at, you know, talking out loud. Plus, maybe you want to think through this whole de-platforming thing. Because I'm sure if you want to, you can now make the rounds of the conservative outlet echo chamber, and you can complain everywhere about Newsmax being de-platformed. Go on the Sean Hannity TV show where you can say another conservative outlet has been de-platformed. 
and the Sean Hannity radio show where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed and the Tucker Carlson show where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed the Laura Ingram show where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed the Fox and Friends show where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed the Brian Kilmeade radio show where you can go say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Brett Baer show, where you could go say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Bill Hemmer show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Harris Faulkner show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Kaylee McEnany show, where you could say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Greta Van Susteren show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Jesse Waters Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Trey Gowdy Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And Trey, why the long face? The Pete Hegseth Show, where you can go say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Larry Kudlow Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Charles Payne Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Greg Gutfeld Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Greg Kelly Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Alex Jones Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Joe Scarborough Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Steve Bannon Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Chuck Todd Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Mark Levin Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Mike Gallagher Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Dana Lash Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Dana Perino Show, where you could say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Larry Elder Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And the Michael Savage Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Bunk Sex Bump Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Janine Pirro Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed and you can have a drink. The Maria Bartiromo Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Tommy Laren Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Bob Sellers Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The John Backman Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Glenn Beck Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Howie Carr Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Dennis Prager Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Hugh Hewitt Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Eric Bowling Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Chris Salcedo Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Sean Spicer Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Sebastian Gorka Show, where you could say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Grant Stinkfield Show, where you could say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Christina Bob Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed and ask her if she's found any documents lately. The Jen Pellegrino Show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Dick Morris Show 
where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed and asked him if he still likes toes. The Benny Johnson show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And the Lou Dobbs show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Dan Ball show, where you could say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Mike Lindell show, where you could say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Jack Posobiec show, where you could say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Charlie Kirk show, where you could say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Alex Salvi show, where you could say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Dan Bongingo show, where you could say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Rob Schmidt show, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. The Todd Schnitt show where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And then you can go record some interviews on the Ben Shapiro podcast, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And the Ted Cruz podcast, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And the Matt Walsh podcast, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And the Bill O'Reilly podcast, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And the Candace Owens podcast, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And the Liz Wheeler podcast, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And the Stephen Crowder podcast, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And asked him where he gets his financial advice. The Michael Knowles podcast, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And the Daniel Horowitz podcast, where you can say another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And after that, Molly Hemingway will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And Kim Strassel will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And Peggy Noonan will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And Ann Coulter will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And John Solomon will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And Russ Duthat will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And Eric Erickson will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And Cassie Dillon will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And Andrew Sullivan will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And Rich Lowry will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed and has twinkling in her eyes. Then Michelle Malkin will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. Byron York will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. Dinesh D'Souza will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. Brett Bozell will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. Kurt Schleister will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And the Wall Street Journal editorial board will write a column saying another conservative outlet has been murdered. And then... Newt Gingrich will send a tweet that says another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. Scott Adams will send a tweet that says another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. Marjorie Taylor Greene will send a tweet that says another conservative outlet has been deplatformed and she'll misspell deplatformed. Nikki Haley will send a tweet that says another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. James Woods will send a tweet that says another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. Crazy Trump's spokeswoman will send a tweet that says another conservative outlet has been deplatformed. And Elon Musk will buy Newsmax and say he did it to prevent Newsmax from being deplatformed. With a tip to the late... Bart Cop, Bart Coppage, who did that originally about various columns 15, 20 years ago. Freshman Congressman Eric Burleson of Missouri. Let's make him a one-term nitwit or less. Today's worst person. 
in the deplatformed world. Hey guys, it's Rich Davis from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance or any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew could stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you could sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter what your style, you could drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. The number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promise not to tell. And the story of the day of the envelope with the anthrax in it that arrived at my apartment. It was 16 years ago this Sunday. Well, the first envelope with the anthrax in it. And it wasn't obviously really anthrax, though the sender said it was. But you would be surprised how much the FBI and Homeland Security and other people in hazmat suits are not willing to just act on what is or is not obvious about fake anthrax. But first, the Olbermann non-anthrax anthrax letters story has a backstory. 
We'll start with this reminder. You should never believe any source story you read in the New York Post or indeed in or on any media outlet owned by the Murdochs, like Fox News. They occasionally do report real things, but just as often they make stuff up. Not exaggerate or get slightly wrong or spin for political purposes, but utterly fabricate. On April 11, 2005, the Post was to run such a story. Only under the threat of multiple lawsuits did the Post spike the story. I've never told this thing before, but I was reminded of it the other day, and I think going through the mechanics of it will illustrate just how evil an organization News Corp actually is. Like you didn't know that from the existence of Tucker Carlson. But more importantly, how unreliable it is as a source of news, even for people who agree with it politically. As a New York Post page six gossip story, this one had everything. It attacked MSNBC. It had quotes from informed sources. Even at one point, it had a witness. It had somebody insulting Peter Jennings right after the late ABC anchorman revealed he had lung cancer. And it was constructed in such a way that if I did not comment on it, they could print the story, then come back the next day and rehash it and add that I was still refusing to comment on it. But there was one overriding problem. It was a complete fabrication. It was full of events that did not happen and people who did not exist. New York Post page six contacted MSNBC's then media relations guy, Jeremy Gaines, on Thursday, April 7th, 2005. And this was the story they told him. Me, a, quote, frequent critic of President Bush had refused to anchor the coverage of the death of Pope John Paul II, pretended to be ill, and called in sick instead. The major problem with their story was I had anchored the coverage of the death of Pope John Paul II. I had been anchoring primetime coverage for hours each weeknight leading up to the pontiff's passing. There were viewers who saw me, studio staffers. Carl Bernstein was our in-studio papal expert and remembered seeing me there. There were videotapes of me anchoring. This did not stop the post. In the first version of their story, page six told us that their unnamed source had been on board the Amtrak Acela train from Washington to New York, sitting near my agent as my agent talked to somebody on a cell phone. Their witness said my agent complained that I had had a, quote, meltdown after, quote, calling in sick rather than anchor the papal coverage, which I anchored. But there was more. Quote, Alderman, a frequent critic of the president's policies, said it was better in sports. They quoted my agent quoting me into the phone. She supposedly said, I'll be dealing with this all day now. Apart from the fact that I had anchored the coverage the Post claimed I had not anchored, there was another major flaw in the story. My agent was not on a train from Washington to New York on the day in question nor the week in question, nor, in fact, the year in question. She told me she thought she had once been on a train from Washington to New York in the year 1967. My agent at the time lived atop Mount Shasta in California and so seldom left there that when she once drove to town to get the mail, I asked her for full details because I jokingly suggested we should lead the news with it. So the next day, Friday, April 8th, New York Post, page six, came back with a different version of their story. They had misheard their source. Of course, it wasn't my agent on the phone from the train from D.C. to New York. It was a woman who worked for my agent, a woman named Susan, a woman named Susan, whom I had, they would report, already phoned three times that morning and was to meet urgently 
at the Boathouse in Central Park, presumably because the middle of Grand Central Station would have been a little too public. MSNBC's Jeremy Gaines responded again with some irrefutable refutations. Nobody named Susan worked for my agent. In fact, sorry, Post, nobody at all worked for my agent. She was independent. She had a working relationship with a small Los Angeles agency, which basically covered her phone when she was on vacation, which was almost never because she never left the top of Mount Shasta. We called that agency and they confirmed they not only did not have anybody working for them named Susan, but nobody from their agency was even on the East Coast so far that year. At this point, I called the television columnist of the New York Post, who I knew a little and off the record, explained to him that I was furious and getting ready to sue, but that NBC was far angrier than I was and that they were going to sue as well and sue the editor of Page Six personally in an effort to put him out of business. I calmly went through the facts of this. This guy, who had a conscience, sighed, said he got these kinds of calls more often than I would believe, and I said, no, I'd believe it. And he said he would go to the editor of Page Six and explain somebody was lying to the editor of Page Six, and he was going to get himself sued into bankruptcy over a really obviously untrue and completely disproven story. A couple of hours later, New York Post Page Six called again, demanding a comment from me on a third different version of their exclusive papal scoop. No, the woman their witness heard, who they first said was my agent, then said she'd gotten it wrong. It was a woman named Susan who worked for my agent, had now become a woman who worked for my agent whose name the witness never heard, but she was talking to somebody else named Susan. And there was an additional quote that appeared out of nowhere. I'll be dealing with this all day now was gone. It was replaced with I'll be dealing with this all day now. The same week Peter Jennings makes his announcement about having lung cancer. This idiot, a frequent President Bush critic, is sitting around in his pajamas calling me about this. Years later, a former gossip reporter in Murdoch's employee explained to me that uh, his celebrity and gossip people are taught never to back down from a confrontation and that if the subject of one of their hit jobs fights back or tries to refute or especially threatens legal action to keep making the story worse and worse for them. And in the first decade of this century, you were supposed to try to work in a defense of George W. Bush. But there's also what they called an emergency exit. If there is no question that the story is nonsensical, the basic spine of the story does not line up with provable facts, just abandon it. Don't tell the subject of your attack that you are abandoning it. Just don't make any more phone calls and don't send any more emails about it. Just vanish. And then send the name of the subject around to all the other Murdoch operations to see if they can come up with any dirt on the subject to punish them for fighting back against the Murdoch lies. Well, it took the New York Post a year and a half after dropping this story. They never called back about Susan or my agent or the boathouse in Central Park again. But on September 26, 2006, I opened an envelope bearing a California postmark at my home in New York and a sticky substance. It looked like Drano mixed with talcum powder fell out. An accompanying note said it was anthrax and now I and other liberals would get a taste of our own medicine. Even reading those chilling words and having covered the actual anthrax letters attacks of 2001 for CNN, I knew it wasn't anthrax. The guy who supposedly sent the actual anthrax was an expert in the field, and even he mishandled the stuff so badly that the official report was he gave himself anthrax poisoning and died of it. On the other hand, what if I was wrong? 
My apartment building was filled with little old ladies who had lived there since Roosevelt was president. I only assumed that meant Franklin Roosevelt. The odds were about one in a trillion this was actually anthrax, but who was I to dismiss this on their behalf? So I made a phone call. Well, that made it into quite an evening. The cops showed up. The FBI showed up. They said, of course, it's not anthrax, but we have to act like it is. The hazmat squad came in. They set up a command post in the building. They swept my apartment. They said, okay, now you have to go to the emergency room for tests. And I said, it's not anthrax. You just said so. And they said, if we have to do this, you have to do this too. I laughed. And if you don't, we can arrest you as a threat to public health and make you do it. So out I went into an ambulance dressed in a hazmat suit, one size too small that really chafed in the groin. I spent the night getting checked out, and the FBI called back and said, it's like Drano with uh, ivory soap flakes. But they also said there were other letters that had arrived that night and the night before and the week before to people like the chairman of CBS and David Letterman's office and Nancy Pelosi and the wrong John Stewart. And they couldn't make me do this, but it would really help if I did not report what had happened to me on my TV show just for one day because they had a lead on the guy and they didn't want to scare him off. Naturally, I said, sure. The next day, while we were still observing the embargo on the story, my story, which actually happened to me, New York Post page six ran a picture of me with the headline, Powder Puff Spooks Keith, and making sure to identify me as, quote, can you guess? A frequent critic of President Bush's policies. It mocked me for not just assuming it was fake anthrax and ignoring it and claimed I insisted the cops take me to the hospital. Quote, whether they gave him a lollipop on the way out isn't known. By the way, one of the anthrax letters in 2001, the actual anthrax letters had been mailed to the New York Post and one of their staffers contracted the anthrax poisoning. But that didn't seem to matter anymore when it was a chance to take a shot at me. Anyway, as it turned out, there was a guy in California sending out these threatening letters, each with fake anthrax, to about a dozen people. He sent me four of them. I soon knew the FBI guys on the case by their first names. And one day I pointed out to FBI Doug that the last envelope had a barcode on it that maybe could track the guy. And he said, oh, you're right. And the next thing I knew, the FBI had videotaped the suspect mailing yet another letter to me from his home in Woodland Hills, California. And I swear to God, he actually lived in his mother's basement. And FBI Doug said, do we have your permission to pull the letter out of the mailbox and open it? And I said, sure. And the guy wound up going to prison for like 18 months. But not before FBI Doug said, by the way, the barcode you noticed, it was for the post office here. And that's where we found his address and the fact that he'd uh, bought all this stuff and purchased a postal money order for $15 made out to the Catherine Harris for Florida Senate campaign. And that led us to his online history, which is all about how she is the most beautiful woman in the world, Catherine Harris, except for maybe some gal named Laura something the most beautiful woman in history, and I said, Laura, Laura Ingram, and FBI Doug said, yeah, that's it, Laura Ingram, and if that isn't 10 years of my life in one sentence, I don't know what is. When FBI New York does its job right. Countdown has come to you from the studios of the Alderman Broadcasting Empire World Headquarters. 
in the Sports Capsule Building in New York. Thanks for listening. Here are the credits, most of the music, including our theme from Beethoven's Ninth, arranged, produced, performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. They are the Countdown Musical Directors. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, appears courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was Richard Lewis, and everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's countdown for this, the 758th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds, it was shocking. I have to know what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN.